Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning. It is nine minutes now past seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. And you know what that means, healthy matters. Dr. David Hilden on our newsline. Dr. Hilden, thanks for coming on with us today. Hey, Susie. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'm good. I got a little frog in my throat. It's from screaming at those gophers yesterday, but that's okay. Another story. Okay, so that was that was a little bit painful. You know, especially after a thirty to a shutout, thirty to nothing romp in Colorado the week before. Yeah, just a whole different team showed up, Doctor Hilton. Um, well, what are we gonna do? You know, what I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're but we're gophers till the end. I'm telling you. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll stick it out. Hey, um, lot in the news today about COVID and boosters and kind of figuring out the statistics of what's what in the world of COVID. Uh, we have a guest on today to kind of talk about that and what we're seeing right now, and particularly with regard to children, right? Indeed, we do. We're going to talk today um, with Dr. Tyler Winkleman, who is, uh, and I'll say this with a straight face, considerably more knowledgeable than me about the science behind COVID and how we collect data and how we report that data. And not only that, Dr. Winkleman works um, extensively to try to uh, ensure that we have some equity around our COVID response in our state. And if you don't know what I mean by that, you're, you're going to find out. We're going to talk about how collecting data on specific populations with COVID have helped us to, uh, to move the ball, if you will, on, on making sure that all Minnesotans are covered. So I will introduce Dr. Winkleman. Uh, we'll get him on the phone. All right, we're very good. We're going to talk a lot about that. All right, and he is with us right now, so we can... Greet him and say happy Sunday morning to Dr. Winkleman. Um, go ahead. You're on with David, Dr. Hilden. Hi. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you here, uh, Tyler. So, Dr. Winkleman, I'm going to tell just, I'm going to say a little bit about you, but then I'd like you to tell our listeners what you're up to, because I know that you've got a few different hats. So let me start off by just telling our listeners that he, he works at Hennepin Healthcare with me. He's one of my colleagues. He's a board-certified internist and pediatrician, so he cares for adults and kids. And Tyler has expertise in health policy and public health, and he conducts research. But not only just at Hennepin, he does so in collaboration with partners locally and across the country. And one of the things you've been doing over the last year or two is leading or helping to lead the Minnesota EHR Consortium. And your mission is to improve health by informing policy and practice through data-driven collaboration among members of Minnesota's healthcare community. That's a mouthful, Tyler. So tell us, in your words, what do you do? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. It's the it's the same question my uh, my mom asks me on the holidays. Um, so yeah, what what exactly uh, do you do, kid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so the uh, I think maybe what I'll do right now is is focus on the EHR consortium. So you know we we talk a lot about data, but ultimately what we're trying to do is really shift how we tackle tough healthcare problems. And a lot of the problems, COVID-19 being a specific example of, of, of uh, challenging health problems that we face, they're not isolated to one healthcare system. And it really takes this collaboration across the health systems to, to address these big problems. And so the consortium is focused right now on, on COVID-19, working together to understand what's going on um, engaging with the leaders of our healthcare systems and with the Minnesota Department of Health to try to respond as effectively as possible to the pandemic. How did we do on that in Minnesota specifically early in the pandemic? And then in terms of cooperating and collaborating across healthcare systems, give us a grade. How did we do? Minnesota's really unique. Um, and, and there are few, if any, states that, that really have the, the level of collaboration that we have here in Minnesota. And it's really one of our, uh, our maybe less well-known superpowers. The, the health systems uh, often work both operationally and in terms of research and evaluation really well together. Um, the EHR consortium has a strong relationship with the Minnesota Department of Health and, and and historically, there's been sort of a gap between healthcare and public health. Uh, and, and in Minnesota, we're really working to um, collaborate across public health and healthcare to, to address the pandemic. So if I had to say, you know, relative to other states, um, we're an A. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's not still room to improve, though. I have been saying that over the past, say, year, 20 months on, on this show and on other venues that um, we do actually talk to each other and we do collaborate within the state of Minnesota. There's always more to be done. But I have been saying that, and I don't think it's uh, – my impression was that that was not the case in other states. I have colleagues, for instance, in Texas, and, and they say, oh, good heavens, we don't do all that. Um, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have data that we share with everybody, and we've done a great job with that in Minnesota. But there's always more work to do. I'd like to – we're going to take a break. Um, listeners can uh, join the conversation if they wish, but I have a lot more to talk to Dr. Winkleman. We're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty of how your state collects – in this case, Minnesota – collects data and reports it and to what end. So we're going to do that after the break, Susie. All right. We want to remind listeners that the phone number to call is 651-461-9226. If you want to call or text, that's the same line, 651-461-9226. We're back with more of Healthy Matters right after this. Good morning. Welcome back. It is Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning. My name is Susie Jones, and the man of the hour, Dr. David Hilden of Hennepin Healthcare, and our special guest today, Dr. Winkleman, again, a board-certified internist and pediatrician caring for both adults and children in outpatient settings. So that means that they come in and visit with the doctor. Uh, Dr. Hilden, take it away. I understand that uh, we're going to get into a little bit more about how we 
strategize and how we examine the numbers of people with COVID and who's getting COVID? Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. We're going to talk about vaccines and the like. So, Dr. Winkleman, you tell us, first of all, you talk about this thing called the EHR Consortium. First of all, what does that stand for? And second of all, what was the need? Why did you feel like you had to put together this group? The EHR Consortium stands for Electronic Health Record Consortium. It's sort of a, it's a, it's a nod to sort of where the uh, work sort of originates from. Um, there are a couple challenges uh, that we were trying to address. We came together rapidly in March of 2020, right as the pandemic was unfolding. And, and we put together this statewide collaboration uh, that, that really had no business being put together in a month and a half. Uh, I think something like this would normally be built over a couple of years. Uh, and we, we, so we rapidly put it together and there are a couple key issues we were trying to identify. First, um, the, the, the state, it's not unique to Minnesota, it's common across the United States, uh, didn't have the ability to look uh, at sort of very uh, granular level at sort of where the hotspots were and, and where COVID was a real problem and where testing was lacking and how these things were related. And um, we didn't really understand much about the people who were getting COVID and, and we didn't really understand whether um, COVID was impacting different groups um, by urban rural status, by uh, different health conditions, by race and ethnicity. And, and, and the, the, the uh, Minnesota Department of Health early on in the pandemic was actually um, sort of by law not allowed to look at some of these things by race ethnicity. So we came together to try to figure out how could we provide some information to our health systems and to the health department to make these uh, important decisions about how to manage the pandemic. That's so important because as I've said over and over, if, we're, if we don't use data to drive our response to anything in medicine, but particularly to a pandemic, if we don't use the real actual data, we're just kind of guessing. So what did you find out um, about how COVID has affected various populations in Minnesota. We're a big state geographically, but we're also a diverse state on, on a number of different uh, different measures. What did you find? Yeah, you know, I, I should clarify too um, that um, I think when uh, certainly you know before I started this work, and and I think just in the general public when we think about these data projects. We think of, um, you know, health systems sending all your your health information to this big data resource, and and you don't know where the data is going, and there's this massive, you know, really almost kind of, uh, you know, concerning pile of data sitting out there. We took a completely different approach, um, and and what that means is that the the information that health systems are sharing. The, the the granular information never leaves their health system. Each site report, generates just high-level reports, and we just put these reports together. So this is not um, a new set of data. Uh, we really are – it is a true collaboration where each health system hangs on to their important patient health information and sends results 
that we just put together into an overall summary. So it's a, it's very secure, very and, and really centered around patient privacy. When we do put the data together this way, it's very clear that that COVID impacts different groups differently, and that uh, vaccines have not um, been uh, administered equitably across the state. Uh, and what we noticed early on in the pandemic, for example, is that urban areas had much higher prevalence, but that's changed over the course of the pandemic so that now it's often um, more rural areas that are seeing a higher prevalence uh, of COVID-19 in their communities. Um, what's very clear is that when you look at COVID and COVID vaccination by race, ethnicity, there's some really stark patterns. Uh, it turns out that um, Hispanic Minnesotans, Black Minnesotans, Native American Minnesotans have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. And among those groups, um, Black and Native American uh, Minnesotans in particular, um, vaccine rates still remain much, much lower than among um, White and Asian Minnesotans. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I know that's a loaded I, question, but why why might that be? So the, you're right. It's it's loaded because it's complex, and and um, in in there are a couple of reasons. So there's a just a paper that came out this week that looked at um, where um, COVID vaccine clinics popped up, and and it showed that in um, neighborhoods. Uh, that were disproportionately black, there were actually more um, uh, uh, vaccine clinics than than in in non-black neighborhoods, and um, yet the vaccine rate is much lower. And that and so there are a couple of issues going on here. One, uh, the type of access. So you know, setting up a clinic and having patients go to that clinic. Um, may not be the right mode of access. There's also a tremendous amount of distrust uh, among certain communities in the medical establishment, and honestly, for very good reason, um, because of a, a, a history of unethical uh, uh, treatment and, and, and research practices in some cases. Um, you can, we try to understand how vaccine is um, administration is going across a number of different populations, including people who've been incarcerated, people who have been homeless and so forth. And, and I think you can see the dynamics of these racial inequities even in play out in some of these groups. So for example, in the, in the prison system, that is a place where access is the same for everyone. Uh, everyone has the exact same sort of level of health care. Uh, and even in the prison system, you still see these substantial racial differences um, by vaccine status. And so um, what's driving that is not access, but rather some of these um, uh, uh, levels of distrust that, that, that stem from, from decades of um, uh, you know, inappropriate care and so forth um, in some populations. 
Yeah, I've been saying um, for some time now that there's a variety of reasons people uh, don't get vaccinated. Some of it is uh, messaging that they hear. Some of it might be political. Some might be philosophical. Uh, uh, There might be a lot of reasons. But I think what you bring up is so important to know that there are um, some communities that have perfectly legitimate reasons to be reluctant to get the vaccine. And so that we have to to, um, recognize that and tailor our message to to just that, that not all communities have the same reasons. Uh, it's also um, I know that that people in healthcare, guys like me, get frustrated when when the patients are getting younger and they're less vaccinated. And so we get frustrated at people. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves that some people have legitimate reasons. Uh, we're going to go to a break um, shortly here. We're going to come back. We're talking to Dr. Tyler Winkleman. I do want to um, alert listeners that uh, there's all kinds of talk about booster shots out there. There's all kinds of talk about uh, COVID, and you might have questions. We're going to take your questions in the last segment of the show, so you can certainly get those into us. But if you want more information about COVID or vaccines or any of that, you can always go to hennepinhealthcare.org. Hennepinhealthcare.org. If you scroll down, first of all, you'll scroll down by my little picture on a microphone. But if you keep scrolling, you'll see a thing about COVID and click there. And we want to remind people, if they're holding on to questions, we are at 651-461-9226. Again, it's 651-461-9226. It's Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning. It is 729. Good morning. It is Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning, 7.33. The superstar of the hour, I would say we have two of them, Dr. David Hilden, Dr. Tyler Winkleman. Dr. Winkleman is a board-certified internist and pediatrician. He cares for both grown-ups and kids in outpatient settings. He also is an expert in health policy and public health, and he looks into all sorts of matters when it comes to COVID-19 Dr. Hilden, uh, we're going to continue talking about just uh, deciphering the numbers and who's getting the vaccine and who's not. But also, you, we thought maybe we'd talk about what the situa- situation right now is with regard to the virus, particularly as it affects kids. Because I think we're seeing in the media, in the paper this morning, a story about more and more younger patients in the hospital. Indeed, we are, Susie. Uh, the, the the situation we're having now is sort of a, it's almost a tale of two uh, types of infections. This is a pandemic for all of us. It really is. The pandemic is still here. It's still um, um, active for the entire world and all of us. But it's an illness largely of unvaccinated people. You are seeing what we are seeing, I should say, in hospitals, younger and younger people, largely unvaccinated, who are getting most uh, most sick and in our ICUs. It is true that we will see more and more breakthrough infections because the more people that get vaccinated, it's just normal that, that we'll have more breakthrough infections. But it's also true that those infections are generally less severe and um, are, you're far less likely to end up in the hospital or dying of COVID if you are vaccinated. So it's really a, uh, the message is couldn't be stronger, that we need to get as many people vaccinated as we possibly can. And that includes children. You know, my wife works at a, in the Minneapolis public schools, and we hear all the time about which classrooms are under quarantine today. Mm-hmm. And an entire high school in Minneapolis had to close down. Yep. And so there are measures that can lower that risk. 
Nothing brings it down to zero. And kids definitely need to be in school. But there are things that can lower that risk. And those things are to vaccinate the adults in the family and vaccinate the, child, the, the kids 12 to 15 years old. Everybody over age 12 should be vaccinated. And then to have the, everybody wear masks in school. So it's, it, it is, uh, I think the hardest person to be right now is the parent of a school-age child. I, I, my, I just, and, and the teachers who are in those schools. They are really dealing with this on a number of levels, both emotional and logistical. And it's a scary time for them. And we need to be there for our children. And I think the best way we can do that is to, to have the adults and the teenagers get your vaccines. Dr. Hill, and I have a quick follow-up to that, and then we'll bring um, Dr. Winkleman in. Do children get the virus more severely or about the same or less severely, generally speaking, than adults? Well, yeah, uh, since the beginning of this pandemic, they kids have been, especially early on, have been getting lesser infections, in other words, less serious. And that remains the case today that um, the, the variants that we have now are way more transmissible than, they, than the earlier, the, the version 1.0 of the, of the virus. It, it is more transmissible, easy to pass on. But the, the infections have not been, um, on the whole, much more serious. However, however, we are seeing more and more and more young people, children and young adults getting infected. And some of them will get severely ill. Not all of them, but some of them will get severely ill. So it is definitely a bigger concern now than it used to be for children and young adults. How about I bring in Dr. Ta- Dr. Yes, Winkleman let's to talk do about that. that. What are you seeing, Tyler, uh, about who is in, in the data that, you're, that you are studying? What are you seeing about where the pandemic is hitting Minnesota the hardest? What group? Yeah, so uh, the you know early in the pandemic what we were seeing in the hospitals is is primarily people 60 and older 65 and older um and and that has really as dr hilden mentioned changed in the last several months where the average age of someone who's hospitalized has gone down substantially and the the primary reason for that is because of this issue of vaccination um and and for kids in particular, we've seen some very unusual trends related to viral illness this fall. So it's not just COVID. Um, what we saw last winter was that basically because of masking and social distancing, we completely wiped out our typical influenza season. And in kids, um, they, they get both influenza and the flu and another virus called RSV that usually fills up hospital uh, children's hospitals every winter and and RSV was almost non-existent and and over the summer as uh, things have opened back up we saw this big spike in RSV and other viruses among kids that's just um, historically com- totally unusual. Um, and, and at the same time that we're seeing RSV, we're also starting to see some of the highest levels of COVID in kids that we've ever seen during the pandemic. And it's really this combination of different viruses that's been driving high rates of hospitalization at the, at the children's hospitals across the state. The other, the other infections haven't gone away, have they? 
Hey, um, Dr. Right. Winkleman, there's a, there's a number of questions from our listeners on the text line. Actually, uh, quite a few here. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm just going to read this from a listener. It says this, when asked about the changing recommendations regarding booster shots, Dr. Osterholm referred to it as, quote, corrective science, end quote. My vaccine hesitancy is related to what the corrective science is going to be revealing five years down the road. Do you have any thoughts on that? Gosh, that's, that is a great question. And, and, and what I would say is the general public is getting a uh, really first, first uh, view into how science really works. And, 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 and that's a good thing. Science is allowed to adapt, to learn, and to, to make changes along the way. And, and, what I said often as we were putting together data for uh, COVID-19 is that we're, what we're really attempting to do is to build a plane while we're flying it. And, um, and that's what we're doing here. Now, the good news. That's a little frightening. That, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. And, and, and it, but, it, but it's also a positive in that um, sometimes science can be slow and take decades. Imagine if if some of the advancements we'd made had taken 10 years instead of 10 months, uh, where we would be at in the pandemic. And, and what we know now is that um, there has never in the history of humankind been the level of coordination and collaboration to achieve a common goal as there has with vaccines around COVID-19. It is a remarkable human accomplishment. And at this point in time, we have had more people who have received the vaccine than probably collectively than any other medical intervention in the history of time. And it, and, and, and so we have an incredible amount of data about the safety profile of these vaccines. And what we know is that they are among the safest medical interventions that have ever been developed. I mean, these are really a remarkable achievement. And so while there is uh, uh, some debate about um, when should you get a booster, how many boosters, and so forth. What, what we are not debating is, are these vaccines safe? It is extremely clear, based on the evidence, that these are a remarkably safe vaccine. And what scientists are debating now is not, are these safe, are, you know, should we have concerns? It's, it's really saying these are remarkably effective vaccines. And now what we're trying to figure out is we've started to move on from, are they effective and safe? to how can we make them work even better? And the debate right now is sort of how, how often should you uh, be getting a booster, sort of how far should they be apart to achieve the maximum amount of benefit? Um, the questions are not around, are these safe and effective? So people are seeing science in real time, and that's something we haven't right. seen before. Right. Yeah. That was interesting, to, the first time in the history of mankind but yet I just I want to push back because there is still, as you mentioned, a significant number of people. There are a significant number of people that don't care about science or are unwilling to let that seep in and are holding firm to their sort of whatever belief they're standing on. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and this is not unique to COVID-19. If you look at sort of any large-scale public health intervention, this is an anticipated res human response to, to public health. Um, if you think about 
um, you know, uh, requiring seatbelts. Uh, if you think about other influ- uh, uh, vaccine campaigns, including influenza, this is sort of a anticipated human response. And that's a good thing in, in some ways, uh, you know, uh, we want the general public to be asking important questions, um, having a healthy dose of, dose of skepticism. And what what we know now is, uh, you know, and what we know from many other types of public health campaigns is that most people uh, from the get-go will buy into science. And, and there will be a, a portion of the population who has lots of questions and hesitations. That's to be expected. And what we do know is that over time, with clear messaging, uh, with with trusted messengers, that we can um, move more and more people with with a healthy dose of skepticism over into uh, uh, the 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 side that that trusts the science and um, and uh, you know uh, believes in sort of the current state of the evidence. All right, Dr. Hilden. We're talking with Dr. So, David Hilden and our guest, Dr. Tyler Winkleman, about COVID-19. Go ahead, Dr. Hilden. So, Tyler, here's some more questions from listeners. And you alluded to this earlier, but people are wary of their data being shared. This text comes from Babette, a listener. And uh, Babette is saying this. I thought that health records are supposed to be private and not shared with anyone without consent by the patient. So how are you getting this info on everyone? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and um, the, the, the rules and the laws around how health information is shared are uh, uh, very strict and, and for good reason. And I want that for my health records as well. And so um, there are certain public health laws that do allow health systems to send certain pieces of information to public health agencies to manage the to manage public health crises. But we're, we're not that, that's not at all what we're doing. Uh, health information stays within each health system. Health systems can uh, uh, look at trends in the data. They're not looking at specific individual charts. Uh, to to make decisions about how to respond. And so how uh, our collaboration works is that patient health information stays at the health system where it was collected. Uh, the health systems look at general trends in how many people had COVID, how many people had vaccines and so forth, uh, and sends this summary information. Once it's in a summary form, so, you know, 125 people got vaccinated today, uh, you know, 50 people had COVID in the hospital and so forth. Uh, we put together these summaries to generate information to better understand what's going across the, going on across the state. All right. Dr. Hilden, Dr. Winkleman, we're going to take a quick break. It is uh, 7.46 on WCCO, back with more healthy matters and answers to your text and phone calls at 651-461-9226. Back right after this. And we are back. It is Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning. Susie Jones here, Dr. David Hilden. We're talking about the virus. And Dr. Hilden, take it away. Thanks, Susie. Um, before I let you go, Dr. Winkleman, in our last minute here, um, there's, a, there's several texts from listeners about more tracking of data. I'm going to ask you this one. 
Is anyone tracking mm-hmm. which vaccine is seeing the most breakthrough cases? For example, are you seeing people who've had Moderna getting breakthroughs, even though the Pfizer is offering boosters? Are we tracking that yet? Yes. The answer is yes. It's an extremely timely question. Um, our group had a, a call with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is the National Public Health Agency that is doing a lot of the data analysis uh, for COVID. We talked to them on Friday. This is uh, sort of the question that is front and center on everyone's mind right now. The CDC released a report uh, about a week ago of some very preliminary data. Uh, That preliminary data, again, uh, is <laughs> trying to build the plane while we're flying it, uh, suggested that there might be slightly more breakthrough infections with the Pfizer vaccine than Moderna. Um, uh, uh, what I would say is this is sort of the first of what is going to be many different uh, analyses looking at this question. It's It's certainly not set in stone. What is also clear is that all of the vaccines are remarkably effective. Uh, So that is not a question. If you have had any COVID vaccine, you should know that it is providing you with a tremendous amount of protection. Again, where we're at right now is trying to say, if we want to perfect the vaccine regimen to make it as uh, beneficial as possible, how might we be able to do that? any vaccine is clearly better than, than, than none, though. We've been talking with Dr. Tyler Winkleman. I want to thank you, Dr. Winkleman. I'm, I'm going to read you this text. Um, it, this text says, thank you to our researchers and medical scientists. We all benefit from the research being done in the area of COVID, as well as all our areas of health and medicine. Thank you for your work. Listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Tyler Winkleman. He indeed is one of the physicians who sees patients, but also is leading the charge on on sound science. He is the director of the Health, Homelessness, and Criminal Justice Lab at Hennepin Healthcare Research Institute. Dr. Winkleman, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me and to the great questions from the listeners. All right, have a great day. We're going to talk in an open line show next week. We'll talk boosters. Yes, if you're over 65, you can get your booster now. The rest of us, um, check us out at hennepinhealthcare.org for more information about the COVID vaccines. And once again, Dr. Hilden, if you want to schedule an appointment, anyone listening with a provider at Hennepin Healthcare, all you have to do is call 612-873-6963. Again, that is 612-873-6963. Dr. Hilden, wonderful, as always, to speak with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Have a great week, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. For a 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.